You are listening to the MTB Strength Coach Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. But first, a message from our sponsor, Epic Rides. Hey there, I'm Chloe Woodruff, a Stan's NoTube-sponsored athlete and 2014 Whiskey Off-Road and Grand Junction Off-Road champion. I like participating in Epic Rides Off-Road Series events because the courses offer a fun way to experience some of Prescott and Grand Junction's finest trails. The three-day event weekends are filled with fun, music, and fellow bike-minded people. For complete event information and to register for the Whiskey or Grand, visit EpicRides.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hey there, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and BikeJames.com, and welcome to another edition of the MTB Strength Coach Podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to be reviewing my experience in sunny San Diego at the Strength Matters Summit. The uh, Strength Matters Summit is something new to the fitness scene, something I just came across a couple months ago, but uh, I noticed that it had some pretty uh, big names, some guys that I really looked up to, some really smart people in the industry who were on board and, and behind it, and so I decided to sign up and check it out, and I was very glad that I did. Uh, while I was there, I got a chance to meet the guys who uh, do, who are behind Strength Matters. They have a great podcast, the Strength Matters podcast, and uh, their uh, their site at Strength Matters TV has got a lot of great information and resources and stuff. But you know, their vision for the whole thing is to create a, a resource and uh, something that goes beyond just kind of the entry level stuff and starts to get into the intermediate to advanced level info for, you know, those of us coaches who have been at this for a few years. Uh, after a while, you know, you get tired of going to the same uh, conferences and same seminars and kind of hearing the same things being presented over and over because everybody there is so new. You know, the fitness industry has got an extremely high turnover rate. So uh, I can see why they have to do that. But anyways, the uh, point is, is it was great to go and get a chance to hear some advanced level stuff, get a chance to hang out with other coaches that have been at this and been been producing results for quite some time, and uh, you know get a chance to kind of get to know them better and 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 learn some new things. So I had some really. Uh, great lessons, some big aha moments from the weekend, you know, besides just getting to hang out with a bunch of different people and, you know, networking at night was pretty much hanging out at the, at the hotel bar and, uh, just talking to some great conversations going on. And all of a sudden you look up and it's midnight and you got to be up early the next morning. And so, uh, but that's just kind of how those things go, but definitely learned some good stuff, uh, while I was there. And I wanted to share a lot of that with you, uh, today. So, the first one, the first day that I got there on Friday was a, a bonus day and it was a workshop that was being put on by Steve Maxwell. And Steve is a really interesting character in the fitness community and also in the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu community. I originally knew him as one of the kettlebell guys that uh, I kept coming across when I got into kettlebell training in the early 2000s. And uh, after I get into Jiu Jitsu, I find out that he also played a really big role in uh, helping to popularize jiu-jitsu in, in America and also with the original UFC. Apparently, he was one of the uh, original investors. He put up money to get the original UFC going. He actually trained Hoist Gracie, who was handpicked by the Gracies to uh, introduce jiu-jitsu to the national audience through the, the UFCs. And so, anyways, really interesting history on that side. And also just, you know, the guys had a chance to be a part of and experience pretty much every fitness trend that's happened over the last 50 years. And so he has tried 
everything under the sun and definitely has an opinion on it and will let you know what he thinks works and what doesn't work. And so, you know, currently he actually travels around the world uh, living out of a 44-ounce travel bag. He's given away his jiu-jitsu gym, sold his uh, training gym, and uh, now just travels around doing seminars and workshops and also just seeking other, you know, chances to learn. So, you know, he's uh, at 62 years old. The guy moves like a cat, you know, is more athletic than a lot of guys, you know, who are, you know, more than half his age and uh, able to move around a lot better than them. So that was kind of the theme of our of the first day was was Steve's workshop on uh, it was on mobility, but it definitely covered a lot of different things. And the first thing that we started out with were some breathing tests. And this was a reoccurring theme with a lot of the, the, the people was talking about the importance of breathing and how important that has to be. And if you're not breathing correctly, then what are you really training? What are you working on? You're just, you know, training crappy breathing patterns. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I've been such a, you know, you know, go to the bike James site and Google breathing and you'll find all sorts of videos and stuff dating back quite some time and you know a lot of my programs I, I talk about and emphasize the importance of breathing because it is definitely one of the most important things that you can get down is make sure that you're breathing with your diaphragm you're breathing in a way that is uh, efficient and can you know is going to help you and so what I found uh, particularly interesting was he had a couple of cool tests he actually had three of them that he did and the first one was just to breathe, normal, sit down, br normal breathing for one minute and to count your breaths. And he, he said that if you had more than 20 breaths per minute at rest, then you needed to avoid any sort of strenuous cardio cardiovascular activity, that your breathing was so dysfunctional that really you did not want to be, uh, you know, stressing it real hard with hard cardio. And, you know, the goal was six to eight breaths. So, you know, being able to take six to eight breaths at rest it, it, it indicates a good, uh, good breathing habit. Um, another one that he had was an exhale and, and hold. So you would blow out to a comfortable exhale. If you blow it all the way empty your lungs 100%, you'll actually trigger an automatic uh, forced inhalation, which is actually a trick that I've learned in jiu-jitsu for helping to breathe instead of focusing so much on like breathing in more. If you really focus hard on, on exhaling all of the air that you have, it'll automatically trigger a good, strong diaphragmatic breath. And, and so uh, anyways, but so that's why you don't want to push all the way out. You want to do a comfortable exhale and then hold your breath. And again, the goal for that was uh, 20 seconds, being able to hold your breath and then for uh, the last test was jogging or uh, just kind of marching in, in place at 180 beats per minute for two minutes and then immediately holding your breath. And then again, the goal there was 30 seconds for men and 20 seconds for women. So just some interesting tests that he had us do to kind of see where our breathing was. And, and I thought kind of some interesting things that uh, for riders to check and, and kind of see where their breathing is. And so if you had problems with any of those tests, then you have room to improve your, your cardiovascular, uh, system through better breathing mechanics. And so, uh, something that, that, uh, I'm actually one of the other presenters that I'll talk about here in a second got more into. Um, Steve also spent a lot of time working on us with rolling on the ground, different rolling patterns and then crawling patterns and then getting up on our feet and doing some advanced mobility drills. Uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of like, you know, stretching. It wasn't that he didn't think that stretching had a, a place with the mobility. It was just that 
it, for him, it was more a matter of being able to control and show strength in the range of motion that you have and make sure that you're really trying to avoid big differences in your passive range of motion, which is what you tend to build with flexibility and your active range of motion, which are what, which is what you build with these more movement based, uh, drills. And so, uh, one of the things that he had observed when he was training jujitsu fighters was that the guys who are the most flexible were often the ones who are getting hurt the most. But it was the guys who were, you know, had decent flexibility, but, you know, they were just, they were a little tight in the joint capsule. Basically, when they got to their end range of motion, like they were at their end range of motion and, but they tended to not get hurt as often. And so that was when he started to realize that there's something to, you know, having a little bit of stiffness, if you want to call it that within your, uh, your range of motion, as opposed to just having um, a lot of passive range of motion without necessarily that, that stiffness and control that you need to protect it. So a lot of the stuff that he did focused on that, which was really, really cool. I got some uh, things that I got in mind to shoot some videos for you guys here and share those for you. Uh, one of the other things that he harped on, uh, quite a bit was, um, well, not quite a bit, but he just mentioned more than once was uh, yoga. And he's a really big, believer and advocate of yoga, but he believes that the the yoga that he practices or, or just kind of the original yoga and what we're currently, what most people practice today are not necessarily the same thing. And so he explained that yoga was originally only eight postures and it was used for breathing and meditation and that the modern stuff that we know came mostly from 1930s Europe and immigrated over from uh, the 1930s Europe and that one of the reasons that Pilates and uh, yoga, what we think of as yoga today, have so many similar postures and poses is because of that similar origin that they have and that it's not actually Pilates copying yoga as much as Pilates and yoga both being inspired from the same source which was the german gymnastics you know training system at the time the the way of using body weight and stuff to train uh um in gymnastics so uh so anyways i found that kind of interesting again this was steve's uh contention and story i haven't done a, a ton of research to uh confirm it but again considering the people that he was talking about that he had studied under uh, I, i'm i trust that uh, he's, he's a pretty good resource for that stuff but uh anyway so that was day one a lot of great stuff on that day, um, you know, Steve was definitely uh, showed us a thing or two about how to move and maintain, you know, being spry well into your 60s. So, like I said, at 62, he was he was out maneuvering a lot of people who were, uh, you know, more than half his age around on the floor. So it's pretty cool to see. Uh, on the next day, we started our seminar presentation. So it wasn't was the workshop was over. Now we're sitting down and, and listening to people talk and present different things. And so the first guy up, he actually had two presentations. And I'm kind of going to kind of combine what I learned from those two presentations into this uh, um, into this one part here. But his name was Perry Nicholstein. And his website is Stop Chasing Pain, which is, again, something that I've talked about a lot, the concept that just because you're hurting somewhere doesn't mean that that's where the problem is, that a lot of times pain is being caused by something else not doing its job properly and, and causing excessive wear and tear on something else. And so 
he's a, a chiropractic physician and that's his entire philosophy as well and, and how he approaches stuff. And so his two presentations focused on two areas of the body that most of us don't think a lot about, but play a huge role in how we move and, and how we perform. And the first was the obliques. And those are those muscles, the side core muscles. You know, you've got the, the abs on the front, you got your lower back on the back, and then those two on either side. Those are your obliques. And you've got, uh, the, the obliques are, the key to power transfer from the lower body to the upper body and vice versa. And that there's a, a sling, basically, the way that our body's set up, our left side lower body and right side upper body are set up to work together and vice versa. That's why when you throw a ball, you'll plant, you know, if you're throwing with your right hand, you plant with your left leg and then that energy transfers through the core and through, out through the arm. And so the, uh, um, the, the obliques are the key muscles for that transfer, that efficient transfer of power and movement. But the obliques tend to get shut down. Um, if just a lot of sitting and also something that he pointed out that I found very interesting was how our modern, uh, phenomenon of walking around, looking down at a phone and texting and stuff, it takes out the rotational movement out of our walking gait, that if you watch someone walk, he's got, he's not looking down at something, their arms are actually going to, uh, you know, rotate, their shoulders are going to rotate, you know, the hips are going to rotate some. So you're not walking like a robot in a perfectly straight line. There's some rotational, you know, transverse plane for those of you that like fancy words, um, transverse plane action going on. And when you look down, you take that out. And so it really got me thinking too about how riding a bike, again, as much as I love riding a bike, the reality is, is it's really kind of a horrible thing to do to our bodies. And one of the reasons that having, you know, other things that you do outside of cycling is so important because honestly, if you think about all that time that you're spending uh, on your bike, we're not getting a whole lot of that rotational stuff going on. Our shoulders and hips are not rotating in, in the same way that we do when we walk. And so it just speaks to how much we need to do cross training, like going for walks and, and running and doing things that get you off the bike and get you working those cross crawl patterns, um, you know, different crawling and rolling and, you know, getting climbing, things like that. All those things work those, those patterns, um, and that we sometimes lose, uh, from sitting too much and also from some of our activities of which, you know, cycling tends to fall in that category in, in a few areas. So, that, uh, so the obliques, you know, making sure that we're working on those is important. Turkish getups, great way to work on obliques, by the way. Um, the next thing that he talked about was the big toe. And this was also really interesting because something I hadn't thought about was that the big toe, it needs to extend to 65 degrees, uh, or it'll start to, you will start to overextend at the hip. So if you lose extension and movement in your big toe, then you will start to have to make up for it somewhere else. And so your foot will start to move differently and you will start to overextend the hip. And so he actually brought up the example of Alex Rodriguez, who, you know, those of you who know who he is, he's a, uh, a pretty famous baseball player. And uh, besides just all the scandalous stuff of steroids and lies and stuff he's gone through the last few years, he's also gone through several hip surgeries. And what they finally found out, what finally got him over the hump, was that he had lost the extension in his big toe. And so he was overextending at the hip and putting too much stress on the hip. And that's why the hip kept getting hurt and breaking down. So once I got the big toe fixed, then the hip surgery stopped. So anyways, the point is, is make sure that you're mobilizing that big toe. And again, 
just like with the obliques on the bike, we don't get the big toe extension. Our toes are not moving the same way that they do when you're walking or running. And so again, it just speaks to the fact that we need to have other activities that we do off of the bike if we're going to maintain a healthy body, which is going to be the best way to be the highest performing cyclist you can and also the best way to uh, you know, live a long, healthy life. So, which should be important as well for, for most of us. So, um, so yeah, big toes and obliques, keep an eye on those. And so that was, uh, some good stuff from Perry there. The next guy up after Perry was a man named Dave Whitley. And Dave is a performing strongman and his stage name is the Iron Tamer. And he put on a pretty impressive display of bending stuff, rolling up frying pans, bending wrenches, nails, and uh, tearing phone books, all sorts of stuff, all while kind of giving us his story and some of the the lessons that he's learned from you know both he's a, he's a successful trainer, owns a training facility, and helps people in a lot of different areas of life, and then just kind of his journey too uh, to becoming a strong man, and again the idea of not pushing limits you know he said like you're not you don't get this strong by constantly you know trying to train as hard as you can you have to stay within your comfort zone and very rarely push those limits and and it's mainly about expanding a comfort zone and so that was you know a reoccurring theme over the weekend again was that idea of how to create progress through expanding a comfort zone rather than trying to constantly force limits and so uh, i actually got into the act a little bit with dave Towards the end, he asked for a volunteer to come up and uh, try to tear a deck of cards. And so I decided to be his huckleberry and jumped up there. I gave it a good go. You know, I I was watching him trying to pick up on some technique things. I think just something from jujitsu that I've learned is don't pay attention to the outcome. Pay attention to the technique and you'll learn more from it. So anyways, while he was bending stuff, I was, you know, really watching and trying to see like, what was he doing? Kind of how, what, what was the techniques that he was using? So I tried to apply some stuff and didn't really work, but, uh, he was actually nice enough later on that weekend. We ended up at the bar and he starts pulling out some, uh, some stuff to bend and tear. And I ended up in the, in the fray there and, and had a deck of cards and he's teaching me how to tear cards and, and, uh, going at those and somebody else shows up with some nails and we start trying to bend nails. And so anyways, long story short, I've got me a new hobby and, uh, and I need to learn how to bend nails better. So there you go. But, um, Dave was a really nice guy. And like I said, really inspirational with, uh, um, just kind of his personal story and, and, uh, just kind of the stuff that he was doing and, and how he achieved it. So I'm just kind of a cool, cool guy overall there. Uh, the next, guy up was a guy named Josh Hillis and he is a fat loss coach but the way that he approaches fat loss can be applied to a lot of different areas and I really like his habit based methods of coaching and so some of the big things that I took away from his presentation was that it's very important to coach what and not how you know you have to give people the 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 tools tell them you know what is going to help them and why it's going to help them instead of just telling them you know what to do and how to do it that they have to buy into it you know emotionally and mentally before they're really going to follow it and so that's that's one of the keys to to following you know building good habits so one of the things that he likes to do is is make a list of habits that people need to be successful and then he allows them to pick 
which ones they want to do. So for him, he has 11 habits of fat loss. And instead of telling someone, okay, here's these 11 rules and you just got to follow them from day one. Here you go. Boom. It's all right. Here's these 11. I want you to take a look at them. You know, he may, through talking with them, may be able to help them narrow some things down based on their particular problems. But at the end of the day, it's which ones do you want to work on? What do you want to, what do you choose to work on? So that really helps people take ownership of what's going on. And also it just, uh, it, it makes it easier because, you know, people know themselves better than, than you do. So they know what they're going to be able to be successful with. The whole idea is to create wins, like wins create momentum and momentum is going to create those habits. And so it is something I would tell clients at my gym all the time is like, man, I, I set you up to win. I'm not going to set you up to lose. And that's very, very important that, uh, when you're approaching your training program, that you don't make the mistake that so many people do and set yourself up for a loss, you know, instead of like trying to bite off more than you can chew, bite off less than you think and, and just be really good at it and then create a win and then move on from there. And so that was one of the things that he emphasized a lot was like, you know, start with one habit. Like even if you look and you pick like three or four things that you want to, you know, that you want to focus on that you think, okay, I can do that. And I think that'll help me and, and I can get behind that. You still want to pick one. The, again, the danger is people try to pick too many things. So, you know, for just a quick example for us as mountain bikers, you know, instead of like trying to start a, a, a skills, you know, training thing and getting out on the trail several times a week and start a strength training program and start a flexibility program. It's like all these things are going to help you be a better rider. But if you're starting from ground zero, then, you know, you may just make your first goal. Like, okay, I'm going to get out on the trail once a week. Like, that's my goal. You know, like, like, and that's it. That's all you worry about. If, if you're having trouble even doing that, then that's going to be a win. You know, you set yourself up for a win. Maybe the next thing is like, okay, I'm going to start stretching, uh, two times a week for 15 minutes on these problem areas that I know I have, you know? So it's like, you know, find these, these small things that you can do. And then once you've got them, then you can move on to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And then that's, what's going to lead to success. And so when you come up against problems, don't look at them as problems. Cause again, nothing is good or bad. It's just in how you interpret it. And, and if you learn something from the problem, then maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe you're actually going to come out of it a better person for it. So instead of looking at problems as, you know, a problem, uh, so to speak, look at it more in, in terms of what habit can I put into place to fix the problem? So it gets you thinking more along the lines of a solution based mindset rather than a problem based mindset. Don't focus on the problem, focus on the solution to the problem and, and the habits uh, specifically that will do that. So, you know, the, the last point that he made that I really liked and is that when things go wrong, then make the habit smaller and negotiate for less. And again, the whole idea is to set yourself up for a win. So everyone has something that they can do, even if it's, you know, uh, stretch for 10 minutes once a week. If right now you're doing nothing, then, then that may be where you're at. You know, so the idea is like, okay, that's, that's a real small goal, but that's fine if that's where you're at. So maybe you start, well, I'm going to stretch for, you know, an hour for, uh, you know, five days a week. And then that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden you feel bad about yourself because that wasn't a win. So again, the idea is like when you, when you set a goal and if you don't hit it, 
then try and figure out, okay, what, you know, can I scale this habit back? I need, you know, still focusing on the habit. And again, you're going to have to, at some point, draw a line in the sand because you can scale yourself all the way back to nothing and just be right where, where you started. But anyways, point is, is uh, find out what you can realistically do. And this is something I, I preach to my private training clients all the time is, you know, stop trying to live in the world of optimal. I know in a perfect week that you can do this and you can do that and you can do the other, but, you know, three out of four weeks aren't perfect. And so only one out of four weeks do you feel happy about yourself because you've accomplished your, your what you set out to do. Like, let's figure out what you can do when things don't go perfect and focus on that. And then that way, every week's a win and we can expand from there. So that's the first thing, you know, focus on on creating wins for yourself, habits and how they're going to help you out. So um, really good stuff. I, I like Josh's approach. His book, uh, Fat Loss Happens on Monday, is a great uh, book that I, I recommend to anyone who's interested in fat loss, weight loss, or really just kind of creating good nutritional habits and stuff like that. So um, yeah, good guy to check out. The next guy up on my list here, and I'm kind of getting out of order of the presenters. I was just kind of making notes and, and these just kind of the order they're coming up in my head. But, uh, was a guy named Paul McElroy and he's from Ireland and I hadn't heard a whole lot about Paul. And what little I had heard, I will admit sounded a little, uh, a little overhyped. And I was kind of waiting to see, all right. Let's see what little kind of new twist this guy's put on something that I've probably already heard that has everybody so enthralled. And I have to say, I walked away thoroughly impressed. Uh, Paul's way of training and he has a very unique progression scheme that he has created that is uh, something I have never seen before. And, and I was, uh, yeah, definitely something I'm going to be learning more about and, and hope to be able to implement into my programs here at some point in the future. But uh, anyways, I walked away very impressed with uh, with Paul. Definitely a guy worth keeping up with. But he had some really great uh, lines during his presentation and just kind of the, that summed up his view and, and philosophy of training. And uh, one of the things that he said is that strength isn't built, it is granted. And, you know, if you think about it, the, the idea of us building strength, it's not necessarily 100% accurate because our bodies can produce far more strength and power than we can display. You know, we've all heard the story about the mom lifting the car off of their kid or, or some other superhuman feat of strength. So we know that our bodies have more strength than what we've, uh, than what we can use. But we have these governors set because we would literally tear off, tear ourselves apart if we could use 100% of that strength and power. So when we train, the idea is resetting those governors more than trying to build something that isn't there. And this is just, it's just really, again, it, you know, oh, it's semantics, blah, 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 because you know, we still kind of use the same philosophies and methods and stuff, but it does kind of create a different mindset that you, when you're approaching it, that you're not trying to force things, you know, you're not trying to, you know, when you're trying to build something. It's a, uh, um, you know, kind of a forceful process, you know, when you're trying to coax something to grant you more, you're a little nicer to it. You're a little, you know, you're not quite as forceful about the whole situation because, you know, again, if it decides that I'm not going to give it to you, 
well, you're not going to get it. And that's the whole idea with training is like if you go about it the wrong way, the body's going to decide that it's not going to grant you what you're looking for because you're going to kill it. And, you know, I mean, maybe not literally, maybe literally, but, you know, your body's like, "Uh uh-uh, you're already like doing terrible things to me with what I've given you. And so, uh, again, instead of trying to force those limits and, and approach this from like this building process that we're going to, you know, force things to happen, then, uh, approaching it that we're trying to coax our body into granting us more of what we already have just kind of, you know, you know, makes us look at being nice to ourselves a little bit differently. Um, you know, another line that he had that I really liked was when he's talking about training, you know, he's like, are we here to test? what we can do or are we here to expand what we can do? And so again, if, if training is always a test of your limits, you know, if you're always, you know, hitting that, that nine to 10 on that, you know, uh, RPE or rate of perceived exertion scale, it's like, dude, go heavier, go home kind of mindset all the time. Then, uh, that's not the idea. Again, like training's trying to expand those limits, not test them all the time. And so again, he had the, the line about Coke's comfort zones. Don't force limits. And that summed up again, like what so many people in the presentation were trying to explain and summed it up so beautifully that that's really is what progress is about. It's about coaxing your comfort zones and not forcing the limits. And, you know, something I've talked about is the, the idea of like building your 80%, that if you can increase your 80%, that you'll automatically improve your, your potential for that 100% ceiling as well without just constantly knocking your head against that 100% ceiling. And that's that same idea that, uh, you know, that 80% tends to be right on that edge of our comfort zone, right? Where things start to slip from being comfortable into getting hard. And so if we can just work on expanding that comfort zone rather than trying to force our limits, that we'll get a lot further. So Paul's a real big believer in, in avoiding threats to the central nervous system. He believes that, that when you overtrain, you, you, you just, you know, mindlessly beat the crap out of yourself and just go with the, you know, I'm going to outwork and go heavy and hard all the time mindset that your, your central nervous system perceives that as a threat. And since we're trying to coax the central nervous system to grant us more stuff, that it's going to be way less likely to do it. So the idea again is to limit those super hard all out efforts and that you want to be working on that 80% range most of the time and, and expanding that comfort zone. So again, just really good stuff from Paul and, and the results that he's gotten with his programs are, are extremely impressive. And again, after hearing, you know, what he had to say and, and how that it definitely had a different take on things than what I'd heard before in some areas, I can, uh, I can see why. So I'm definitely excited about learning more about him and his training methods and, and bringing that stuff into, uh, into what I'm doing. So, so, uh, the last one that I wanted to bring up was a, uh, a girl named Joe Miller and she has, uh, a, a, what's her website here? It's tuneupfitness.com and she has a new book out called The Role Model and her, her deal is using myofascial relief and self massage to target the breathing muscles. And so again, the, the, the diaphragm, the ability for your body to efficiently and effectively use the diaphragm and the breathing muscles to drive your breathing is so important. And so I found her, she did actually had a workshop part of it and it was, uh, actually really good. I got to say I was a little skeptical 
about it going into it. But as I did it, I was like, man, this is really good stuff. This is something I think that, that, you know, pretty much every mountain biker, every rider out there could benefit from because the muscles that she was targeting are those, you know, the pec minor and in the bicep tendon and just, you know, the, the, the muscles that, uh, um, it, really tend to shorten with us and it affects our breathing. And so having a way to target and and free up those muscles to help with your breathing, I think is extremely important. So I'm actually going to get her products and check them out and do a review on them and let you guys know a little bit more about them when I get some more time with them. But just wanted to give you a heads up. If you want to go ahead and check that out at tuneupfitness.com, um, you can uh, check out her stuff and kind of get ahead of the curve there. But uh, again, just going back to how important breathing is and, and having a method to help you improve that breathing is, is it's just as important as having a method to improve your strength and your cardio and your skills and stuff like that. So, um, really good stuff there. And then, uh, yeah. And then, you know, lastly, we had, I had two really cool presentations, uh, one from a guy named Mark Rifkin and another with, uh, Steve Maxwell. And they both presented on, on a similar subject, which was the history of the fitness industry. They both had different, uh, you know, perspectives and takes on it, which made it interesting. But it, the overall take from it was that, you know, the fitness industry has gone through a lot of changes over the years and we're ten, we're coming back kind of full circle to the, to a lot of things. A lot of things that we think of as new today aren't new, you know, these crawling and the breathing and the mobility and all of these things. They're not really new. These are old things that were forgotten over the years. And the, that the idea, if you look back throughout history, that strength and health were synonymous with each other for a long, 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 long time. And then it wasn't until the very recent past, actually in, in the 1970s with the aerobics boom, that strength and health started to be decoupled from each other and that the focus became more on cardio and health and strength took a back seat. And we're seeing the effects of that mindset on society today. That since that happened, along with other things, it's not the only thing. There's been, you know, several other factors contributing to it. But the, the fact that strength was de-emphasized and that this cardiovascular running, jogging, you know, cardio exercise was overemphasized definitely had negative effects on our health and and our ability to perform and stuff like that. And so it's good to see the things coming back around to strength being emphasized and strength being recognized for its role in health and performance and stuff like that. And so really something I've been saying for the last, you know, shoots 10 plus years, you know, about how strength training can help your your cycling, your mountain biking. While it's, you know, seems like one of those like, well, duh kind of things now, you know, back when, you know, 10 plus years ago, strength training for mountain biking was not a super popular topic. Uh, still isn't a super popular topic because again, most riders are still under the, the misconception that the path to improve performance is cardio, 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 and not understanding that, that really that's just due to a recent influence on, on the psychology of performance and, and the fitness media and stuff like that. And not necessarily because of what really is going to help you, which is, uh, getting stronger. So, and that's why the strength matters summit is called the strength matters summit. So, um, so there you go. That's, uh, my recap of the weekend. 
some of the things that I took away from it. Hopefully you got some good stuff from it. Uh, again, go to strengthmatters.tv and check them out. They've got a lot of great uh, stuff there. And if you're a fitness professional, definitely recommend checking out their summits. Uh, it's a great chance to learn from some of the best guys in the industry and also a, uh, a great chance to uh, network with other fitness professionals and stuff like that. So that's going to do it for this episode of the MTB Strength Coach podcast. And uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions or comments on this, let me know. Otherwise, I will talk to you next time.